98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Yeah, could I have a number three with cheese and uh, a large coffee? And does this smell good? Wolfing down your lunch. <laughs> Serving up today's top sports stories with Wolf and Lou. Hey, boys. Presented by Stadium Swim at Circa Resort and Casino, Las Vegas' ultimate sports fan destination. Ah, uh, Stadium Swim. All right, it's time for all of today's top sports stories in one place. Wolfing down your lunch. Here's Aaron Maloney, as always, Aaron. So the reaction continues following the Cardinals' comeback win over the Raiders. And yesterday, Cards head coach Cliff Kingsbury spoke on the value of a comeback win when he joined you guys. There is, yeah, to be able to overcome some of the things that that really self-inflicted, like we were talking about earlier, self-inflicted wounds. And um, they have a great team. And to spot them that type of lead and then be able to fight back and see what can happen when you execute at a high level, when you stick together and you continue to fight, that that could uh, serve us well moving forward, hopefully. How would you like to see the Cardinals build off of this win? I, I think now it's, it's just a matter of cleaning up the not little things because they can be very damaging. Somehow they weren't at the end of that game. But it's it's the stuff that, Wolf, I think would be easier to clean up. You can't go out there and tell players to be faster or stronger, but you can tell them, hey, let's get the play in. And, like, you know, we can snap the ball at seven seconds left instead of zero seconds left every time. Yeah, you know, for me, once again, this is huge. It's a huge win. That second half in Vegas, I think is 2022. Everything that has happened up until that point was 2021. And we all know how it ended in 2021. I forgot. Of course. Okay. Well, at least the 2021 season, of course. It wasn't actually 2021 because it was January of 2022. I still blocked the Rams in the playoff game. You get my point. It was. I blocked it all Exactly. This is going to be huge, man. The fact that they're playing the Rams right now. And I want to see how they play. How they play is going to matter to me. Go out and compete against a team that won the Super Bowl last year. Not getting off to a great start themselves, the Rams. But I want to see this team go out and compete and be in this game, make it a game, and win it. James Conner is currently day-to-day with an ankle injury that kept him off the field for some of Sunday's game against the Raiders. Here's Cliff Kingsbury. He'll be day-to-day. Yeah, he's a tough guy. We just wanted to make sure he was 100% if we are going to put him back in. The good news, though, according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, the injury is not considered long-term or serious. So if Connor is unable to go against the Rams, are you confident in Eno Benjamin and Daryl Williams? Yeah, I mean, I am. You know, everything we just said about the offensive line, it obviously starts with them. And and I do think it's going to be tough with Aaron Donald. I don't think that's like breaking news or a hot take. They have a hard time with Aaron Donald. Most teams do. But in terms of just running the football, Wolf, you know, I don't want to say you don't need James Conner anymore. It's not that. But if, if he has to miss a game or two to be at back at full strength as opposed to running him out there at like 70%, I think they have the guys to get by. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, it was funny because we were talking about this thing before the season even started. But Daryl Williams appears to be the backup to James Conner. In other words, in rundown situation, first and ten, second and one to six, it's going to be Daryl Williams is going to get a lot of the reps out there. And then Eno Benjamin is the changeup to James Conner. So if, in fact, James Conner cannot go, man, you can slide Daryl Williams in there and do really, really well. Because what I saw on tape, Daryl Williams will truck you. 
This guy has got everything you want out of a rundown back. First and ten, second and one to six. Let's go. Bring that physicality. And then Eno Benjamin, man, I don't I don't care how many reps you give him because he's going to go out and compete. I love what I saw on tape of those two guys, and I feel really confident. If James Conner cannot play or is nicked up in this game, Daryl Williams and Eno can handle it. So how do you like Daryl Williams' number? <laughs> two four. Two four. You know what I like? I like the fact he's still two hundred and thirty two pounds, two hundred and thirty four pounds, somewhere in there. Yeah, he wasn't getting pushed around on Sunday. He was not he had, getting had pushed around, yeah. man. I love that. Starting to sound like Wolf. Got a little wiggle in the jiggle, bruh. Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs connected for three touchdowns in a blowout win over the Titans on Monday night football. So after what you guys saw last night. Is there any argument that the Bills are not the best team in the NFL? No, they're the best team. Um, but that could—that doesn't mean they're going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, how great would it be to see a Chiefs-Bills rematch in the playoffs? Um, but I will say this, Wolf. You know, anything can happen over the course of the season. Guys can get hurt. Like you said earlier, you can become complacent if you're that good. I don't think the Bills are a team that is going to become complacent because they've still never won a Super Bowl there. They look unbeatable now. I want to see how they look in January. But if you told me right now, what you got to pick based off of the first two games, it's not even close. They've embarrassed both teams they've played. And those two teams they've played were the Super Bowl champs from a year ago in the Rams and the team that had the best record in the AFC last year in the Titans. And those games weren't even watchable in the, the second half. It truly um, is incredible to watch the Buffalo Bills. Um, they are the best team, I believe, in the National Football League. Um, their offense can beat you in so many different ways. That's the thing I love about them most. I don't see a weakness with them offensively. If, they, if you need to line up and hammer the defense in order to win a game, the Buffalo Bills can do it. If you need to spread it out and chuck it around, the Buffalo Bills can do that as well. They can beat you in many different ways. They need to do what they did last night. If they're going to show the Bills, you need to have a second game running so we can all switch over to that second game like midway through the third quarter when they're up by 30 points. The Sean Aguano era era begins at ASU as the Sun Devils' new interim head coach shared some of his philosophies yesterday. There is going to be subtle changes. There's not going to be drastic changes. There is going to be subtle changes um, that I'll put a thumbprint on. Um, and that might seem drastic to the kids there because they're such in, in tune to a routine. Um, but I think those are subtle changes that need to happen uh, for us to be successful. Uh, I asked my coaches in the nine or ten weeks that we're going to play to give it all for me and, and our team and for, uh, for our kids mostly. And uh, we all agreed. And so uh, I got here at, the, at 5.30 this morning, and there are seven coaches here already. So that tells you a lot about the type of men that are are taking care of our kids. What should ASU look for in their next head coach? Uh, I mean, that's a loaded question. I would like somebody that, that feels like you got to find that perfect balance, right, Wolf? you got to find the guy that, that you know can coach at this level yeah. but is, is still young and hungry with something to prove. Um, you know, that's, that's going to be an interesting... It's going to be an interesting search to see what they go for. If they go for just another splash and a name, if they can even get a splash and a name, or if they're going to go out there and actually get a guy that's on the way up. But if you're going to get a guy that's on the way up, you better have a good eye for that sort of coaching talent. Yeah. Um, Kenny Dillingham, 
that's, Stop. No, I'm just saying. Kenny Dillingham. <laughs> Why you got to poach my guy? Is that specific enough right there for you, Mel? Specifically Oregon's guy? Um, Kenny Dillingham is who I'd like to see them get. Forget about everybody else. This, this is a young college coach who is up and coming, to your point right there, a guy who's got roots with the SEC, a guy who has roots right here, of course, in the basin, a guy that, um, Gus Melzahn, does that ring a bell to you? It does. Okay, Gus Melzahn is a, you're talking about a guy who is a savant when it comes to the spread. What percentage of this this want for Kenny Dillingham is just to take somebody from Maloney? Is it like, is it 10% at least? No, just a little bit, but honestly, Kenny Dillingham, I think, is the guy they got to get, and I don't think he'd break the bank getting him, which makes it even better, because they don't have a lot of money, a lot of resources to break the bank. The Suns are gearing up for training camp, I think. I believe it starts on Monday officially. Here's ESPN's Brian Winhorst from NBA Today yesterday. Also, they are negotiating, from what I've been told, with Cam Johnson yeah. on a contract extension. Now, that wouldn't affect this year's salary. That would be for down the line. But it would also indicate that they are looking to invest uh, long-term in another uh, player and avoid a restricted free agency situation like they had with DeAndre Ayton last year. So from a front from a front office perspective, from the folks that I'm talking to, the Suns are operating like it's like a championship contender looking to improve their team heading into camp. The Suns are operating like a championship contender heading into camp. Mm. They should. I mean, you you are a championship contender heading into camp. They better be operating like that. It was a weird offseason, right? You, you're, you're, Kevin Durant says he wants to come play for you, and usually when that happens, usually when a star player wants to play for a specific team, that's where he ends up. He doesn't end up here. You kind of make it look like you're not all that interested in paying DeAndre Ayton, and then you end up paying him because you have to match an offer sheet. But the bottom line, Wolf, is the same team pretty much the same team that won 64 games last year is set to come back, except no JaVale McGee and maybe no Jay Crowder. Yeah, man, to me right there, too. They Those two guys were the dogs. They were the beating heart. I thought of the toughness when you talked about the Suns being tough. I thought of those two guys specifically right there in the impact they had on everybody else. We're going to have to wait and see, but I think Jay Crowder definitely is not going to be a son going forward. Ron Wolfley reporting. I think that's pretty obvious right now. And in terms of Cam Johnson and taking care of Cam Johnson, I say booyah! Because that guy right there, I love him. Absolutely love him. He'll become the starter. They should have you in the room for all contract negotiations. So when it gets signed, like when they're, okay, we've, we've agreed to terms, you can just go, booyah! Yeah, like that. right, just exactly. That. All right, uh, that was Wolfing Down Your Lunch. We come back. Is booyah. this the best time for the uh, the Rams to come to town, or is it the worst? That's next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Hi, this is Zayvon Collins. You're listening to 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. I've seen a lot of maturity, taking ownership of things, demanding things from others, not suggesting things, I would say. Great open field tackle by Zayvon Collins. He read it, he trusted, and he made the play. When he fires and he's not thinking, you can see that athletic ability and that size really on display, and then he just has to keep doing that. Let go! Let go! Wolf and Luke talk Cardinals now. I think a lot of Cardinals fans, I think a lot of Cardinals fans probably just have the schedule basically memorized anyway, Wolf. 
But if you didn't know who the Cardinals were playing this week when the game was going on on Sunday against the Raiders, when it ended, the way it ended, I'm guessing that that group of the the Cardinals fan population was probably like, all right, who they play next week? Because all of a sudden I feel a lot better about this team. Yeah. Uh, And we're going to get into the fact, I mean, they have a lot they have to clean up. (laughs) But but you won the game that way. You feel like, okay, if you're ever going to have a win that generates momentum, and if there was ever a team that needed a win to generate some momentum after the way the previous seven games had gone dating back to last December, it was the Cardinals, and it was that win on Sunday. But that team they play next is the team that has owned them since Sean McVay took over. It's been five years, and they are 1-10 in ten against the Rams. That sound yeah. right? Yes. I mean, it doesn't sound right, but it sounds right. <laughs> That's not right. It's not fair. No, you're right. Um, yeah, of course, the Rams have had the Arizona Cardinals number. There's no doubt, especially at State Farm Stadium. Um, for me, this is the best time I think you could play the Rams right now. Based on the fact that that second half of the Vegas game, that second half of the Vegas game was 2022, Basin Onions. The first half was still 2021 or the 2021 season. Once again, not technically on a calendar 2021, but it was metaphorically, of course, the 2021 season. The way the season ended for the Arizona Cardinals against the Rams in the worst game we've seen them play. And maybe the worst game we've seen Kyler Murray play as well. That playoff game against the Rams was absolutely brutal. Now, all of a sudden, they're given the opportunity coming off the victory in Vegas. And the way they played in that second half. Now, the stakes are going to be really, really high for a number three week game in the NFL. Yeah, you you gotta you got to clean up the errors in this one because... I agree with most of what you just said. It looks like you may have turned the corner, or at least you've set yourself up to potentially turn the corner. You say it was, okay, this is the start of 2022. For me, I just look at the first game and a half of this season like it was preseason, because the Cardinals came out in the second half of that game against the Raiders looking like, okay, here comes the regular season, and whatever. You're one and one. That's fine. One and one is fine, especially considering the pieces you don't have and the teams that you are playing. But if you are not careful, the Rams will knock you right back into 2021. I mean, this is a team that has owned you, and and they, you know, the, the it's not... It's not, hey, the Cardinals lost to the Rams in the playoffs, and it was tough, but they lost 27-21, to and that one really stings. No, they were done two series in. And that was the last. Yeah, and so there is, and I hate going down this path, Wolf, but I'm going to go down it. There is, to me, some gray area on Sunday in this, because because you won, you're one and one. If you lose to the Rams, you're one and two. You're not done at one and two. (laughs) Right Now, you want to beat the Rams. Yes. But if they go out there and play well against the Rams and it is a close game and they lose, I'm not going to be like, oh, they're screwed. If they go out there and get embarrassed by the Rams again, you have a problem. Yeah. You, you can't keep getting embarrassed by a team in your division. You want to win. This is the one week on the schedule because of what just happened on Sunday. A moral victory could be in play. You know, oh my goodness, I can't believe you said moral victory right there. Everybody is screaming at the radio that's right like, now. Look, they're like, what are you, that's, moral victory? That's, that's, you're the one that said moral victories are sometimes they, real. They are real. And I don't I, I, they to are, that. They are real. And that's why I'm so, cons- I, for me, this game coming up right now, man, it's the how. That's what I want to see from the Cardinals. The how they play. 
I mean, is this going to be, again, the Rams are going to come into State Farm Stadium, own it, own the game, own State Farm Stadium, and go up and down the field and suddenly win the game going away? Is that really what we're going to see? Because that right there will feel like 2021 all over again. Well, and then if that happens, you, you're going to have to realistically look and say, okay, five of the six halves of this season have been miserable for the Cardinals. Yes. You know, I mean, that, how, talk about how quickly it's going to flip the narrative. If they get blown out by the Rams, then all of a sudden the second half against the Raiders looks like the anomaly. Yeah, you know what? But once again, though, if I were a player inside that locker room, my brothers, I can tell you right now, this is exactly what I'd want. This scenario, the fact that you you got blown out against the Chiefs, it was so disappointing in how you played in the intensity level and the sense of urgency. If I was inside that locker room and experienced that second half against the Raiders and winning a game like that in overtime, making a play, knocking the ball out, touchdown in overtime, and now all of a sudden, what's your next game at home, which has been your nemesis against your nemesis, the Rams? And Sean McVay. Yeah. Let's get this thing going. Let's get it started. And why not make it the Rams? Let me reword. As a player, I want that. What I was saying. I'm not going to be happy with a, quote, moral victory. I'm saying this is one of the few weeks where I can look at the game and say, in the NFL, and say the result obviously is still priority number one. But how they get to that point in that game on Sunday is going to mean a lot to my assessment of this team. Yes. Whereas if they had just lost to the Raiders, too, and you go out and play a good game against the Rams and lose, it doesn't matter. You're 0-3. You're basically done if you start 0-3. Now you're 1-1. So if you do lose and go to 1-2, it's going to be irritating because you still can't get over the hump against the Rams. And at some point, you're going to okay. have to. But if they play well, right. at least you could look at that and say, all right, there's still something here. So let's just say hypothetically, once again, um, coming off the game, they just came off the Cardinals. Now all of a sudden you're playing the Rams, the defending Super Bowl champion. Do you think the defending Super Bowl champions still have talent on that roster? Yes. yes they add new of pieces course. every three days. I, <laughs> of course they still have talent on that roster. So what if you go out and you dogfight them? You go out there offensively, defensively, and in transition, it's a competition. And you go into that fourth quarter, and it could be a coin flip. And you end up losing. Okay, you end up losing the game. You lose it by three, whatever it may be. Listen, um, can a player get better in a loss? Ask yourself that question, Basin audience. Can a player get better in a loss? Yes, he can. And anyone who's ever played knows that. You, as, a, as an individual, can get better in a loss. So let's say you, get, you have a lot of guys who actually played and got better in the loss, especially on the defensive side of the ball. A lot of young guys. Yeah, I'll call that. A, you call it anything you want. I'll call that a victory. I'm just, you know, if you... That scenario you're putting out right there, you go out there, you play the Rams close, okay, what an amazing performance, but you just can't quite beat them. If you if if that happens and you go to one and two, you're still very much in this. If sure. it happens and you go to zero oh and three, you're basically done. Then it is just like an empty. Well, we gave it a good try. That'll be awesome. Maybe we'll we'll win next week. Yeah, I mean, if you start zero oh and three. What, you got to go 9-5 and five or 10-4 and four down the stretch to have a chance? Because they beat the Raiders, you give yourself that sort of runway where 
priority number one beat the Rams, and and they have looked susceptible. They almost just blew that game against Atlanta. Matthew Stafford is back to his old tricks of throwing to the other team at least once, if not twice a game. Oh, boy. They should be beatable, but if they have your number, if you at least play them tough, you're still in this going forward. And not only that, too, honestly, if you go out and you compete against this team and you play well, it's a dogfight. Hey, listen, you know what? And I know fans don't want to hear this, and I get it. I totally do. Yet at the same time, competing against the best in the world is very, very tough. Because on your team, you don't only have the guys that are the best players in the world. Everyone else in the league has guys that are the best players in the world. See, that's the problem. It's difficult. It's hard. So, yeah, once again, I want to see the how the Arizona Cardinals play. Is this a contest? Is this going to be a competition? Or is it going to be a coronation for the Rams? And that's the other part That matters, Luke. At some point, you are going to have to get past the L.A. Rams. At some point. So you've got to get on. You've got ideally you do it now. I mean, think about think about how we are looking at this team. If they beat the Rams on Sunday, you're looking at the Rams who would be one and two. And their one win was a shaky one over the Falcons. And the Cardinals would be two and one, and they've just beaten the team that has been their biggest issue, and 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 became an even bigger issue at the end of last season. I mean, we weren't we weren't planning on looking ahead to this uh, upcoming game this quickly. Yeah, it's Tuesday morning, but how can you not when it's the Rams? Text us your thoughts to the Fanduel text line at six twenty six twenty right now. Okay, training camp's coming up for the Phoenix Suns. Their first preseason games less than two weeks. Are they going to have Jay Crowder on this roster? That's next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right. Uh, not loving the start to this D-backs game in L.A. right now. Bases loaded, bottom of the first. Zach Davies is already 27 pitches in with one out. And it just seems like he is on... Or he is off. So let me do the math on this real quick, Wolf. If he were to, if it was going to take him twenty-seven pitches for every out, and he pitched a complete game, he would have to go seven hundred twenty-nine pitches into this. I see. Tori doesn't let you usually get past like ninety-five. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's going to need to. He's going to need to work out of a jam here quickly in the bottom. You were of the embellishing, first. were you not? No, I just did the. Did I, the I didn't right do the now. math in my head. I did oh, okay. it on this thing right in front of me. Uh, all right, we're going to talk a little basketball here because the Phoenix Suns are not that far away, really, from the start of their season, which is October nineteenth. You know what? I, I t- that alone jacks you up, does it, it not? It, it does. I because it it kind of snuck up on me this time. Yeah, it snuck up, but here it is. Uh, October looms. And we all know what October means here in the basin, of course. Eight months of the best weather on the face of the planet. That's awesome. And now all of a sudden, you've got football well underway. You're going to have playoff baseball, and the Suns are going to open training camp. Here we go. Well, and it also means renewing that very heated rivalry they have with the Adelaide 36ers of uh, Southern Australia. No, that's you had to bring it big. down right there with the Adelaide 36ers. <laughs> well, first you had game. to bring it down. If we're not going to assert our dominance over Adelaide on October 2nd, Wolf, when are we ever going to do it? Yeah. So that's it. That's their first preseason game. They get the Lakers on the 5th, uh, Denver the 10th, Sacramento the 12th, but uh, those, those are all, we're talking like two weeks, two and a half weeks over the span of that preseason so we are close 
to the Suns trying to defend their best uh, record in the NBA. That's not the objective, certainly. I think we're all fine if they lose a few more regular season games, as long as it means winning some more playoff games. But um, you're close, and yet you're potentially still facing one or two big questions with your roster, which you don't typically see from a team that is in this position this is Brian Windhorst, NBA Today, yesterday, saying, hey, uh, don't just assume Jay Crowder's coming back. In fact, maybe assume the other way. They are conducting business there in trade negotiations right now. A lot of them are centered around Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder is a player who is available on the market right now. Whether or not there's going to be a deal for him that materializes before now and next week's trade deadline, that we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but Jay Crowder's a guy in the last year of his contract. And, you know, it's possible that they could do a deal that they would bring back more money on. And Bobby... In folks that I'm talking to, they don't get the sense that the Suns are afraid to continue to spend, um, that they may be spending more. Uh, it would not surprise me if the Suns get involved in the negotiations for uh, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich mm. from the Utah Jazz, who is available on the market right now. Several teams are bidding for him. That, that's a name that Gambo threw out a little while back as well. It doesn't make a lot of sense for Utah to hold on to Bogdanovich. It makes a lot of sense for Utah to say, hey, we're happy holding on to this guy. Average 18.1 points per game. Yeah. But they're in full-blown rebuild mode. Yeah, um, no doubt about that. Uh, just listening to Windhorse right there, though, it makes me think Jay Crowder is not coming back. There's Right? I mean, this is what this is what he was tweeting about when he was talking about opportunities and going somewhere else. And uh, I'm paraphrasing, but um, I don't think Jay Crowder under any conditions is coming back as a son. It, it certainly, if nothing else, Wolf, it sounds like if the Suns had the option, they'd rather have Bogdanovich than Jay Crowder. And the tweet that you're referencing from back on August 1st, so a month and a half ago, would seem to indicate that Jay Crowder already knows it or he's partially behind it because that tweet was change is inevitable, growth is optional, I believe it's time for a change, I want to continue growing. Now, that's vague in the sense that it's Twitter and he doesn't actually reference the Phoenix Suns or even basketball. But it's pretty clear when you say, I believe it's time for a change, that he's not like getting a new stovetop. I'm pretty (laughs) sure this means he wants to alter his career. Yeah, and it bums me out because you know the respect and the regard that I have for Jay Crowder and how he goes about his business. Just the fact that he is a pro, number one. Um, He is very, very intense. He's a dog, and I think this team needs a little bit of dog. Now, I'm not saying Chris Paul is not a dog, okay? I'm not saying Devin Booker is not a dog. I believe those guys are dogs as well. But Jay Crowder has the ability and the desire, as a matter of fact, to get in somebody else's face and not back down. And I think that toughness, the kind of toughness Jay Crowder brought to this team is something that they're going to miss if, in fact, he does go, which I think I think he is gone. So where is that toughness going to come from? Who's going to pick up that stick and metaphorically start banging the ground, so to speak? Yeah, no, that's a good point because is Devin Booker tough? Yeah. Is Chris Paul tough? Yeah. But if you lose JaVale McGee and you lose Jay Crowder, they've already lost JaVale and they may very well end up trading Jay Crowder. It's tough to go into the season feeling like you got tougher. Right? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sure. mean that you aren't a tough team, but you you ended up parting ways with two of your more, like you said, Jay Crowder doesn't just 
doesn't just not shy away from confrontation. He seems to actively look for it sure. frequently when yeah. he's out there. And, you know, the guys that they brought in, like you're getting Dario Saric back. You're bringing in Josh Okogie, Jock Landale. I mean, okay, Saric isn't like he's not going to throw down. He's going to help this team, but it, I'm assuming he'll be healthy and he'll be able to help the team. But you're right, there's there's potentially something lost there. Contingent on whoever you're going to bring in for Jay Crowder, if you really do move him. So it's going to be Cam Johnson, I would imagine, right? We all think Cam Johnson is going to get the rep, so to speak, of Jay Crowder if they move Jay Crowder. It seems like that would be the goodly thing to do, of course. And it's very interesting in this positionless league that we find ourselves in with the NBA right now. um, Cameron Johnson may actually be the better option. If, in fact, Cam Johnson um, gets to be that starter and take those starting reps from Jay Crowder, which we all kind of imagine will be the case, now all of a sudden you've got a guy who can shoot the three. You got a guy that is uh, tough as well. I think Cam Johnson is a tough competitor. Um, he's not nearly as physical as Jay Crowder, but he's a tough competitor. He's a tough kid. He can shoot the three. He can also put the ball on the floor and go to the rack. That's something Jay Crowder cannot do. And in this positionless league called the NBA, that's what you need guys to be able to do. Yeah. You got to get something back, though, whether it's in that uh, hypothetical trade or another way. Because if you're presenting to me, Cam Johnson starts over Jay Crowder, and maybe you get a little bit more basketball, just pure raw basketball talent-wise with Cam starting over Jay. Yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. And the Suns seem to feel that way. But last year they had Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder. Yeah, and if we're going in right. next season, you just have Cam Johnson. <laughs> like it doesn't have to be an either or thing. Here, though, real quick is uh, Windhorst on Cam Johnson. Also, they are negotiating, from what I've been told, with Cam Johnson yeah. on a contract extension. Now that wouldn't affect this year's salary; that would be for down the line. But it would also indicate that they are looking to invest uh, long term in another uh, player and avoid a restricted free agency situation like they had with DeAndre Ayton last year. So, from a front from a front office perspective, from the folks that I'm talking to, the Suns are operating like it's like a championship. Contender looking to improve their team heading into camp. Oh, there it is right. right there. Do it. Do it. Operate like a championship contender heading into camp because you should be one. You know, and I cannot help it. While we're talking about the Suns right now, um, for me, man, it's DeAndre Aiden. It's, it's still, I want to see DeAndre Aiden. I want to see how he responds to getting paid. I want to see DeAndre Aiden. Well, you're going to see him through at least January 15th and potentially longer. I want to see DeAndre Aiden. When we come back, we'll go back around the National Football League and finish up our rapid-fire look at Week 2. That's next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Finishing up our look around the uh, National Football League Week 2 edition. The entire NFC West is now 1-1. One one. Most of the NFC is 1-1. One one. How about this? To, uh, to, to Two weeks into the season, here are your undefeated teams in the NFC, okay? Okay. The Eagles, the Giants, and Tampa. That's it. <laughs> Three undefeated teams. I mean, teams raise your hand NFC. right now if you thought the Giants were going to no. be 2-0, honestly. You've got to be kidding me. Well done. Well done by Brian Dable. 
I do this thing every year with a few friends. So you got to pick. You got to pick three teams that aren't going to make the playoffs. Right? That's the pool. You got to you got to go through and you just kind of draft teams that aren't going to make the playoffs. And I feel pretty good about my other two picks. I was really confident the Giants weren't going to make the playoffs, and they're undefeated two weeks into the season. So, yeah. Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Hello, Barkley. This, Man, he looks good. This is uh, Brian Dable after the win over Carolina on Sunday. I thought he played a good game. I thought he made great decisions with the football in his hands. He took care of it. He led the team down again um, to finish off a drive to win the game. Uh, so that's two good weeks, I'd say, for, for Daniel. Uh, made the right decision, took care of the ball when there was pressure on him. Uh, threw it away if he needed to throw it away. And then, you know, took off on that last naked there to get the first down to, uh, you know, he could have done a lot of different things. And he made the right decision under pressure in a critical situation. And he's taking steps, and I'm happy for him. Two good weeks. This has got to be the greatest stretch of Daniel Jones' career, Wolf, in the NFL, because it has not been a good start. You know what's so interesting about this, though? It's the chemistry. Um, many, many times we've seen chemistry with a quarterback and his quarterback coach or his offensive coordinator, even a head coach, of course. We've seen many, many quarterbacks do well under the tutelage of one guy, and... Maybe this is it for Daniel Jones. Maybe Dayball is that guy. There does always seem to be one or two teams every year that every week you're like, oh, okay, how did they win? All right, the Giants barely beat Tennessee with that two-point conversion. Okay, well, the Giants barely beat Carolina, who really doesn't look very good. The Panthers, by the way. And yet, they just keep winning. And they end up ten and seven at the end of the year, and you're like, I don't. They never look good in any of those wins, but they finish ten and seven. Maybe the Giants are that team this year. There's an old saying that says you have to reach before you can teach. And I'm wondering if that's what Dable has done. Uh, how about the Detroit Lions picking up a win over Washington and Aiden Hutchinson? It was kind of quiet. In the season opener, okay, first game, second overall pick. I think a lot of people think he was the first overall pick because he was going to be the first overall pick till Jacksonville took Trayvon Walker. But week two, Aiden Hutchinson, not so quiet. Three sacks. Here's Dan Campbell, who's never quiet. Listen, I'm fired up. Carlos, I am. I'm, yes, I love it. Three sacks. I hope we get three more. He gives us three more next week. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, and I haven't seen the tape, but just for, just from what I saw out there and how everything was run and the stunts, and I thought he did a great job. I did. So I'm not like I'm down on him or something. I thought he did a great job, but I thought all those guys did too. Yeah, Dan Campbell right now. One and one on the season, right? Yeah. The Lions Almost beat Philadelphia in week one. I know. How about that, man? The Lions um, could be one of these teams that, as you were just saying, you look at it and go, man, are they really this good early on? Could the Lions surprise, even if they were two and two coming out of the shoot? You'd look at them and go, oh, man, Dan Campbell has got their attention, right? The thing is, like, you they, would. They've got. Amon Ra St. Brown is really good. And he was really good at USC. And I know you didn't watch Hard Knocks Wolf, but for everybody that did, he's really good at reciting all 16 receivers that got drafted in front of him in that draft. He looks like one of the best receivers from that draft class through two games and really through all of last year, too. So you've got him on the offensive side. You've got Aiden Hutchinson on the defensive side. I'm not saying the Lions are going to be amazing. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but they... They aren't just this pushover that they have been for seemingly the last half decade. Uh, Patriots-Steelers, Bill Belichick following New England's win over Pittsburgh. You know, Pittsburgh's tough, like they always are. And, uh, you know, battled back and forth with them. But, um, 
And I thought that our play there in the fourth quarter was, you know, came up with some big plays, two big three and out stops, and then, you know, held the ball for the last, uh, whatever it was, six minutes of the game. And, you know, we were able to, to run it out and kneel on it. So, um, some good good football when we when we need it the most. You know, a lot of guys contributed. I mean, can't, could sit here and rattle them all off, but obviously, you know, offense, defense, special teams, we got we got good contributions in all three areas, and you know, it's good good complimentary football. I, I kind of like to hear Bill sit there and rattle them all off, yeah. all fifty three players. Yeah, you know, honestly, uh, he really doesn't. He's not big into praising. <laughs> no, he didn't players, say anybody's name again. Yeah, especially his own players. Um, he did say offense, defense, and special teams. That was pretty descriptive. Matt Jones. Um, boy, you wonder if the sophomore slump is coming. Matt Jones. He's living a little dangerously, shall we say it that way. Um, this is a guy that has taken a lot of chances, and his stats could be a lot worse because he hasn't played like he did last year. I don't think I've seen him throw a pass. I, mean, I know he does, and it's not like I've been watching the Patriots that closely. But the last time I watched the Patriots closely was the playoff game against the Bills where they got smoked. And then before that, that Monday night game against the Bills where he actually didn't throw a pass. He threw three in the entire game. Uh, I want to get to this one too, Wolf. The Broncos win. They beat the Texans 16-9. to But I referenced this yesterday. After all that talk of, hey, if we just get to the 46 at the end of the game, we're in field goal range for Brandon McManus. The Broncos were five yards closer at home in the high altitude. Didn't trust Brandon McManus to make a kick. And they didn't give it to Russell Wilson either. They just punted because they don't want Russ to have the ball, apparently. This was uh, Nathaniel Hackett after the game. Yeah, that was something that we talked about in in those situations beforehand. We decided we wanted to go for the kick. And then, obviously, we had to delay a game and decided to punt it because our defense was doing really well. And then the crowd, obviously, frustrated at times. But can you just give me a sense of overall? I don't blame them. I mean, heck. I mean, I'd be. I was booing myself. I mean, I was getting very frustrated. I mean, get down to the red zone two times. uh, Don't get another touchdown, which is unbelievably frustrating. I don't think we've scored in there yet. And uh, that's something that all of our guys got to step it up, whether we run the ball more, whether whatever we're doing, we just got to execute at a higher level. You got to run the ball more. That's what you got to do, coach. And you know that ultimately you do. And that's the one thing, too, I thought the Broncos were going to be really, really good at was running the ball. And they got to do it better, man. If, in fact, they want all that play-action goodness with Russell Wilson, they need to be able to run the ball and establish that first. Maybe they should uh, go further into shotgun from the goal line and, and hand off at, like, the 12 when they're at the half-yard line. They um, they they won. They're 1-1. One and one. They've been in two close games against two teams that people don't think a lot of in the Seahawks and Texans. That could get ugly in Denver, don't you think? That fan base in Game 2 of the Nathaniel Hackett-Russell Wilson era, and they're getting booed off the field, and they won? (laughs) That Broncos fan base is uh, a little bit different than the other fan bases in Denver. That's not the Nuggets or the Avalanche or the Rockies. The Broncos fans are crazy. Yeah, you know, and for the most part, too, I don't think the Broncos are leaning on their rushing attack enough. They're good. Um... They should be winning and winning going away as far as I'm concerned. This is a Super Bowl-caliber team with Russell Wilson as their quarterback, but they need to go ahead and lean a little bit more, I think, 
on the basics and the foundation of the game. Uh, and one more from last night. The Bills just steamrolling the Titans 41-7. to Sean McDermott after the game. Yeah, we weren't even really at our best. Both coaching staffs with uh, with the defense, offense, special teams, they did a great job. You know, good game plans. Players executed. Uh, I thought it was good fundamental football. I thought we were a little maybe erratic early, you know, and uh, we, we settled in and started playing good, dis- good disciplined football for the most part. I should say fundamentally strong football. Uh, we still need to add some discipline into into what we do there. It's going to take a lot to beat that team. That's I can tell you right now, Wolf, when are we doing the power pull tomorrow? Um, it's a sneak preview. I'm going to have Buffalo number okay. one. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I'm probably going to do the same thing. Yeah, and you know what? In two weeks, I'm going to go ahead and put Buffalo number one there. I'm two weeks ahead. Has anybody ever done that before? <laughs> no, nobody's ever done that before, but man, they did look really, really good. What I love about the Buffalo Bills, too, they are tough. They can be anything they need to be to beat you. Whatever your weakness is, the Buffalo Bills, and specifically I'd say the offense, they can be whatever they need to be to beat you. Like, if you're not tough defensively, if you don't have a good, strong front seven, and your box isn't able to stop the run, you know what they're going to do? They're going to line up and they're going to hammer you. That's what they're going to do, and they're going to run. They're capable of doing that. If your secondary is a mess... They're going to go ahead and spread the field. They're going to throw the ball. They they can do and be whatever they need to be to beat you. That's why I love them. You see who they play next week in Miami against the Dolphins? That's going to be fun. That's going to be some fireworks right there. Don't know how fun it's going to be for the Dolphins, but it's going to be interesting. Buffalo down in Miami historically. I'm talking about historically. They have not done well. Two uh, two and O teams. All right, we come back back to the Cardinals. Isaiah Simmons lost the green dot. He also lost a lot of playing time, but then he made a huge play in overtime. So, what does that mean for Isaiah Simmons this week against the Rams and going forward? That's next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on ninety eight seven FM, Arizona Sports Station.